Chris O'Connor here. Join the Curmudgeon Rock Report's invite-only curmudgeonly community at facebook.com slash curmudgeonrock. Also look out for a Spotify playlist that pays honor to this episode. This is the Curmudgeon Rock Report, and this is your podcast made by rock geek iconoclastic outsiders for rock geek iconoclastic outsiders. For those of you who lament that rock music has gone the way of jazz and slipped into niche genre status, we are here to keep that flame alive by providing insight, analysis, recommendations, and honest takes, not hot takes. And hey, there's a good chance you'll learn some rock history you never knew before. On this podcast... One of our four curmudgeonly tenets is as follows. There's something to be said for quality control, and there's such a thing as being overly prolific. In the wake of the demise of the conventional record industry in the 21st century, and the system of checks, balances, and the overall role of gatekeeper that it served, Too many bands and artists have spread themselves out thin by releasing multiple, often mediocre albums per year and saturating listeners and fans rather than with the ideal release cycle of one really good album per year. In spite of this, there have been a few super prolific artists from the psychedelic garage punk revival that emerged in the early teens that this podcast has perennially championed. When it comes to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Chris is this podcast's Wizard of King Gizzard. I, of course, have always referred to Ty Siegel as Rock and Roll Jesus. That is, until his most recent couple of albums that have seen him in a bit of a songwriting slump. But there's another artist of this ilk that we haven't spoken that much of, and it's about time the Curmudgeon Rock Report rectifies that omission. Of course, I'm talking about OCs, formerly known as The OCs, one of the biggest cult indie rock bands in the U.S. OCs, based in the San Francisco area, have graduated from music critic darlings to having a sizable, passionate, almost rabid following that has grown by leaps and bounds via the blogosphere and social media, particularly YouTube. This following announced itself in 2021 when the band sold out the nearly 10,000 capacity Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado in OCS's first post-pandemic concert. What is it about this seemingly unknown band that has permeated the music-loving consciousness of so many hardcore rock geeks? How did this strictly and almost militantly non-commercial band become the first American band since, basically, Fish to foster such a devoted and burgeoning cult-slash-underground audience? The Curmudgeon Rock Report is on the case as we investigate a curious case of OCs. I'd uh, like to start here, Arturo. Yeah. When we're talking about this this band, which is a really fun and really kind of visionary band, uh, I wanted to share uh, how this band, the OCs or OCs, uh, yeah. describes themselves uh, on uh, the label 
that uh, OC's founder, John Dwyer, uh, started uh, called Castle Face Records. If you go to Castle Face's uh, website and uh, their page on OC's, this is how they describe their own band. Psych punk, psychic warrior, earworm, earworm farmer, and possessor of many stamped passport pages, John Dwyer does not let up. His group, <laughs> yeah, his group OCs, aka the OCs, OCS, the OCs, etc., have transmogrified to fit many a moment, from hushed druggy folk to groovy demonic pop chants to science fictional kraut rock expanse and beyond to suit his omnivorous whims. It is common knowledge, however, that at their shows, you're there asking for a beating. 20 years going, and the shows keep getting more and more intense, as many a soupy swarm can attest. The locked-in Rincon Quattrone drum cops, or core, uh, propel masses, they misspelled that, uh, propel masses of strangers to froth and lean into each other as the insistent and repetitive underpinning tumbles nimbly, nimbly from Tim Hellman's bass. Meanwhile, John ricochets breathy yips and snippets of synth and all manner of guitar heroics around your brain canyons while your reptile instincts yell move. Brainstem body rock meets cerebral expanses and their now du jour prolifically feeds a labyrinthine garden of well-hewn tunes. I suspect that Dwyer wrote that himself. Uh it, you know, I, I to me, I still think that sells the band a bit short. I mean, this is not goofy surface level music, right? No, it's not goofy and superficial, but like aesthetically, it kind of nails it. <laughs> yeah, that, it, that is stylistically pretty much hits every point of what the OCs are were are about. <laughs> yeah, well, especially now. I mean, you know, as, as they evolve, I mean, he's definitely uh, right about the uh, the growing uh, intensity. Uh, of yeah. this band. And so I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it. And uh, I just want to make one more point, and then I'll kick it over to you to kind of set us up yeah. and why we're doing this episode. Uh, I will admit that uh, Arturo has been telling me about this band for what, three, four or five years. And, and it was one of those things where I wasn't necessarily, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. I'll check him out. But then, you know, I would go down my own rabbit holes and, you know, this included, uh, you know, I had a Charlie Mingus phase, a Kurt Vile phase, System of a Down, Pusha T, old uh, Wu-Tang Solo Records, uh, Lucy Dacus, Atal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I hadn't really gotten around to this band uh, until a couple of months ago with you know the, their newest record, which we'll talk about um, in this episode. And so now the last couple of weeks, I've basically entered the OC's Academy mm-hmm. and I'm really digging uh, what I'm hearing and... Uh, Arturo, explain to everyone why they should do the same thing. Uh, this is a big cult band that many people have probably heard of, but don't know much about, except for the fact that they've got albums and uh, songs like sprayed like shit all over the place. Yeah, they're you know, like I said, it, one of one of like I said earlier, one of the tenets of this podcast is there's such, such a thing as being overly prolific, and there's you know, and there's something to be said for quality control. But in recent years, since 2013, I would say the majority of John Dwyer, he's the main guy from the OCs, um, their output has been consistently great, and in some cases, um, varying degrees of of true greatness. Um, they are a really big, they're a rarity right now in rock and roll. They're like an underground 
in pure 100% pure indie band that has actually has a pretty large cult following that's gotten bigger in the last six, seven years um, due to YouTube, due to other social media outlets, due, due, uh, due, uh, due to the blog. The blogosphere has been a big, uh, uh, a big, a, a big reason why uh, OCs have gotten big. But because of that, because of their, um, their, their, their huge fan base on social media, they, they really have become one of the bigger. I mean, I mean, I'm not quite fish level cult big <laughs> you know they're, they're, they're not playing 80 to eighty thousand people in a, no. in a festival <laughs> at but, least not yet yeah, yeah but 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 they are one of the bigger cult underground cult bands in america that have quite a sizable following especially online um if you're a serious rock music geek or a serious rock music fan you should know who the ocs are because like i said they're 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 one they're a rarity they're like uh, an underground indie rock band that has a huge cult following and you don't get many of those anymore yeah yeah oh yeah ab- absolutely and uh and part of it, you know, it's kind of paradoxical. You know, you said that uh, there's something to be said for quality control. Yeah. But in some ways, the uh, them releasing, what is it, 23 studio albums since 2007? Yeah. Uh, uh, there's something to be said for, you know, if you pump, push a button enough, people will start paying attention. Right. And so, uh, you know, I, I mentioned at the top, you know, there's, uh, there's my, uh, there was the OCs and Dwyer's own description of it. So, I mean, basically, you know, let's get into sort of the, the appeal uh, and uh, the sound and, and the mythos uh, that Dwyer here has created. Yeah. And before we do that, let me explain, you mentioned 27 albums, not all of them are studio albums. Um, And as far as the, the OCs discography goes about half of it, about half of their releases are either live albums uh, compilations of outtakes <laughs> from previous albums. Yeah. And recently they've been doing a lot of uh, releases of uh, improvisational experimental studio jams. Right. Um, and if you, so, and if you include those, the number is like 50 or <laughs> what, between 50 and 60. Yeah. Well, I know the, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the point I'm making is that the right. 27 that you mentioned, half of it is that. Okay. Uh, is it 27? I, well, this is the thing uh, there it's the internet contradicts itself. About four different sources have a different number. Uh, right. and I think I saw 23 on, uh, I don't know if it was Wikipedia or all music or, or one of those, it was fairly credible had it at 23, but then somebody else had it at 22. Uh, when I first counted, um, wherever I was at, I counted 19 and I knew that was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think Wikipedia actually, I think has it right because I know Wikipedia gets criticized a lot, but, uh, the community that maintains Wikipedia, they do a pretty good job of updating stuff. And mm-hmm. when things cannot be verified, Wikipedia makes it known in big letters. This is not verified. Don't trust this. Yeah. Um, so according to Wikipedia, uh, the number of studio albums by VOCs, OCs, however, you, they've changed their name a lot, <laughs> however you want to call them, is it's about 23. And then okay. add in all that other stuff. It, it comes, you're, now you're looking in the 30s, almost 40. Yeah, and uh, you, it, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the 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 name change uh, thing uh, with them. You know, uh, Dwyer. Uh, here's here's another interview that I found out there on some like weird. I think it's called like Awkward Drunkard or something like that. Yeah. Um, and 
the interviewer asks him about this. He says, uh, in terms of, uh, the names. He says, uh, what's the common thread? It's got a different name every time and different people uh, and makes different kinds of music. Uh, what makes it the OCs? And then Dwyer responds, me. And, <laughs> and, and then the interview says, uh, that makes sense. And then Dwyer is like, what did what did Marky e. Smith say? Uh, he says, and the interviewer says, if it's me and your granny on bongos, uh, it's still the fall. Right. And Dwyer is like, I always love that. Uh, I met that man. Uh, I wouldn't put us in the same boat exactly, but I would say that if I'm doing it, it's the OCs. And then the last thing is the interview says, why do you change the spelling all the time? And Dwyer says, because it seems to aggravate the press, Uh, which which to me is great. I have nothing but contempt for the music press. So it's just great to me. They're like, you changed your name again? And I'm like, that's right, bitch. So so I I wanted to share that. Dwyer seems like a real character. He's kind of like your stoner neighbor dude who just hasn't changed, even (laughs) despite, you know, quote unquote fame. Right, right. Oh, totally. And and for all of you out there who are wondering, where the hell is the Parallel Universe segment? Guess what, folks? We're doing a very special exception for this episode. We are leaving the Parallel Universe segment for the very end of this episode because we will finish this episode with a review, a parallel universe review of OC's latest album, yeah, a foul, and a foul form, and 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 we're kind of uh, straddling the parallel universe to begin with, yeah, uh, because yeah, they're they're a big band, but they're not a Billboard band, you know, right? On the, in the PU, they should be a Billboard band, so exactly. In, in, in the PU, they would be. I mean, maybe not quite Grateful Dead or Fish level, but but hmm. they would be playing much bigger venues than they sure. are now. And Dwyer would have made the cover of Rolling Stone by now. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so uh, that said, uh, let's start talking about the music and their origin story. Uh, Arturo, I know that you've uh, studied them a lot over uh, the years. Uh, tell us about John Dwyer and uh, tell us about the uh, germination of the OCs. Yes, this is as brief as I can make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, bre- brevity is not a big thing for Dwyer, so go ahead. Yeah, so the long, winding, complicated history of OCs and the trajectory of their immense discography can really be narrowed down to the musical journey of one man and the guy we just mentioned, John Dwyer. One year older than yours truly curmudgeons, he was born in Providence, Rhode Island in 1974, But the story of OCs really starts in the San Francisco area, which is where Dwyer's musical career started. While kicking around in bands by the name of Pink and Brown, Zeigenbach Kopf, and Coach Whips, (laughs) Dwyer started releasing songs on indie label compilation albums under the name Orinoca Crash Suite (laughs) way back in 1997. Uh, Eventually, he settled on the moniker OCS as the primary outlet for his solo work. The first album under the name OCS was simply titled One, as in number one, came out in 2003 and was centered around Dwyer playing solo acoustic songs. The next OCS album, simply titled Two, came out in 2004 and was primarily experimental noise tracks. OCS finally became a band when when John Dwyer added a drummer, and the duo proceeded to play the rudimentary lo-fi bash-out garage rock that OCs would initially be known for. This version of OCS put out two albums, Songs About Death and Dying, Volume 3, and OCS 4, Get Stoved, both in 2005. 
The addition of Bridget Dawson as backup vocalist and keyboardist would make the band a trio, and they changed their name to the definitive article, T-H-E, O-C's, one word, O-H-S-E-E-S. This is important, as we'll see later on. Uh, They released an album in 2006 called The Cool Death of Island Raiders, produced by Dave Tech and Kip Malone of TV on the Radio. Go figure. Uh, Honestly, the album is kind of a piece of crap filled with (laughs) tuneless folk dirges and experimental drone bullshit. Anyway, uh, Petey Dammit would make the band a quartet by playing an electric guitar fed through a device to make it sound like a bass. They changed their name again to the definitive article, T-H-E-O-O-H space C's, S-E-E-S, and put out Sucks Blood in 2007. Finally, in 2008, John Dwyer settled on the name V-O-C's, T-H-E-E space O-H space C's, S-E-E-S, the name the band would have for the next eight years. And this is what they became known known as. And if the you're band, wondering if you're yeah. wondering if uh, uh, Dwyer smokes a shitload of weed, uh, yes, and I, that's one of the things that proves it. <laughs> the band's music also started to solidify as well as expand, coagulating into this slightly psychedelic garage punk sound that would put them at the forefront, really, of a movement that many underground bands and artists throughout the U.S. would embrace in the next decade. Uh, Dwyer's songwriting evolved as well, with strange yet catchy hooks and idiosyncratic melodies swirling around VOC's Sonic Stew. The band would prove to be very prolific for the next several years, as well up until their critical breakthrough in 2013, which we'll discuss soon. So here is a quick rundown of early OCs albums back when they were the OCs, all of which are uneven but brimming with amazing songs, sounds, and diverse styles. Here we go. Yep. First one, the first real V. T-H-E-E-O-C's album. In 2008, The Master's Bedroom is Worth Spending a Night In. It is a perfect amalgam of the raw nature of mid-1960s garage rock with the urgency of mid-1970s punk, all with a glistening psychedelic tinge. Next, Help from 2009 brings the previous album's best characteristics to shining light with catchier melodies and something approaching nice vocal harmonies. Go figure. Uh, Next, Dog Poison from 2009 merges freaky acid folk with all its acoustic textures with sing-along Kinksian pop nuggets. Go figure. Next, Warm Slime from 2010 is, at its time, the band's deepest foray into full-on psychedelia with the title track riding its 1970s Krautrock Motorik groove for over 13 minutes. Next, Castlemania from 2011 was recorded almost entirely by John Dwyer himself, who introduces a litany of exotic, diverse instrumentation, ending up in the closest OCs ever came to a neutral Milk Hotel Elephant Six type of album. Nice. Includes, includes cover songs by the West Coast pop art experimental band and the creation. Uh, next, 
Carrion Crawler slash The Dream, also from 2011, was recorded almost entirely live in the studio and finds the band returning to a full-on rock, garage, psych, punk style that they would expand upon in future releases. Next, Putrefiers 2 <laughs> from 2012. <laughs> <laughs> sees John Dwyer go back to studio auteur mode, combining the exotic arrangements of Neutral Milk Hotel with the lyrical flourishes and Ray Davies-esque pop songcraft. Well, as pop as Dwyer could ever get. Chris, what do you think of early OCs? Uh, yeah, uh, I my curiosity is uh, Putrefiers 1 must have been really bad. Uh, for them, for, the, for them not to release it, they just went straight to Putrefiers too. Uh, th- that that that's wonderful. Uh, yeah, I mean the the little bit again, and I'm sort of in OC school here. Uh, they it's very strange because there's a, I guess an early demo from 06 called Grave Blockers. Yeah, I don't know if you've, you've heard this. It's, yeah, it sounds more like the Vendor Banhart uh, mm. than it does like you know anything good. Um, yeah, but. So, yeah, they start off as uh, kind of a freak folk band, uh, you know, think back and think some of the Brooklyn bands from the same uh, uh, period uh, worth mentioning, too. And as they go along, it's it's a weird combination of things. Like I said, they get a little bit more psychedelic, but uh, he uh, formative influences. And I listened to a uh, podcast uh, earlier in the week called uh, Turned Out a Punk, again, uh, by uh, the dude from Fucked Up. And uh, Dwyer mentions that uh, two of his formative influences were the Misfits, duh, and the Cramps. Uh, the mm. Cramps is a little bit more surprising. And then, but when you listen to that early stuff, and as it kind of goes up, it's kind of obvious. Uh, it has that kind of uh, intentionally winky, spooky, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, reverb type thing going right. on. But but the interesting thing, it, it's interesting to see the evolution where he's messing around with folk and some psychedelia and all that. And then as we get to like 10, 11, 12, the volume starts to turn up the weirdness level and you know, the, the twists and the bends, uh, start to subtly appear. Uh, it doesn't necessarily resemble metal, but it's becoming harder edge rock. Uh, I think Beck too might've been an influence. Um, I hear, uh, some of that, uh, in there, but as it comes up, as you get to 2013, and you're right, that's when they turn the corner into uh, what most of the folks that follow the OCs um, know the OCs as, which is this sort of in, indescribable or you know, undefinable uh, kind of yeah. nasty ass, you know, loud uh, uh, metal slash prog slash punk, whatever you want to call it, uh, band. And so it's just kind of neat uh, that, I mean, who knows, maybe it's a, a factor of Dwyer having no money. And yeah. then when he, when he got some money, then he could get fancier and louder and all of that. And so, which I, which I think is partially a big reason for it, you know, better, more money, better equipment. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the thing, but, uh, Dwyer is very, very talented and very, very smart. And so he's this kind of guy that like, oh, okay, well, this interests me. Well, let me play with this. And like you said, there's some Kingsian stuff. And so there was that period, there's a album from 2014, which basically is like, uh, as, like you said, it's as bubble gum as they get, uh, as the OCs, uh, get. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, he's a guy that has many, many, many influences and he picks up influences as he goes along. 
and that kind of explains some of the shifts and uh, some of uh, some of those uh, things. Uh, and I get the sense because I've heard podcasts, I've read interviews. He's kind of a guy who lives in the moment. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't call him ADD, but he has this kind of uh, fuck off. I'm going to do this next, and oh, you can't you you can't put me in a corner. I'm just going to do this, like you said, not just fuck with the press, but it's almost like, hey, you know, my fans, ex- you know, expect me to do, you know. Uh, what's the next curveball? Okay. See, here's the thing. That freak folk that you're talking about came really early in Dwyer's uh, career or really, really early OCs. And this period that I talked about, basically 2006 to 2012, he was kind of like throwing darts all over the board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And really, like in my opinion, the demarcation point, I think for many fans too, the demarcation point comes in 2013. But when and starting that year is when OCs begin their golden run of albums that is still going on. For the it's been going on for the last, you know, nine, ten years, and they're still sure. on it. And their music has got, even though they've gotten very eclectic, at the same time, they've gotten more focused. Yes, And they generally tend to put out just one studio album per year now. They don't put out two or three per year yes. like uh, like they used to. So yes, they, they, their music is expanded, but the output has been... It's, it's weird. The music, the st- Stylistically, they've expanded, but musically, they've actually become more focused in, some of, in many other ways. Arturo and I now both use the same microphone. And what a darn good mic it is. If you've been with us for a while, you might notice we don't sound nearly as crappy or as clueless as we did in our first episode back there in January 2021. We're maturing, man. If you have any inkling to launch your own podcast, we recommend using the Ars Technica 2100X USB. It's a high-quality cardioid mic that helps limit ambient noise and echo and also gives a richness to your voice that you just won't get from a cheaper model. And its USB attachment allows you to record conveniently using your laptop and software like Zencaster, the excellent program we use to record ourselves natively from Texas and South Korea. It's as close to a super souped up XLR system you can get for about a hundred bucks. Find this Ars Technica gem on Amazon or perhaps ask a locally owned music store to send you in a more indie direction. And now we will begin for the listeners out there who are unfamiliar. Uh, the curmudgeon rock report will give you an OC's primer of which albums to listen to. So, uh, Arturo, I'm assuming you've heard of this little movie called Shawshank Redemption. Oh yeah. Yeah, as has every person on the planet. Well, you know, there's a faint one of the more famous lines in that when uh, the Tim Robbins character escapes from prison. Uh, Morgan Freeman's character in voiceover says uh, uh, he had to swim through a river of shit to come out clean on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the exercise that at least I did or am doing right now. You got to swim through all of it to find uh, the beautifulness of it. And uh, that's what I did. That's kind of what we're doing. And so here are the shining monuments that define the OCs. Arturo, uh, kick us off. Like I said earlier, we'll start with the the album that really start, begins the OCs golden period, Floating Coffin from 2013. 
This album represents the first of several things for John Dwyer and VOCs. At this point, they are the T-H-E-E space O-H space C's S-E-E-S. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's the band's first album on Dwyer's own Castle Face Records. Starting with this one, all OCs albums, studio albums, live albums, outtakes, compilations, experimental improvisational jams, etc., would be on Castle Face. It's also the first OCs album to garner significant attention, not just from North American music media, but the international one as well, serving as the band's critical breakthrough. As a loyal reader of the UK's Mojo magazine, I can attest to Mojo being the first music media outlet where I heard of or read about VOCs. More importantly, this is the first album where John Dwyer's vision finally coalesces into a unified whole, providing at once a template for the band's sound and identity, as well as a jumping off point for all the styles, sounds, and even genres they would delve into in future albums. For all intents and purposes, listeners can start their OC's deep dive here. Uh, I mentioned earlier how the classic OC sound is essentially a psychedelically tinged brand of rocked out garage punk. And the album, this album we're talking about, Floating Coffin, is the purest distillation of that. Look no further than one of the singles off the album, Toe Cutter Slash Thumbbuster, which rides a cheekily melodic, heavily fuzz guitar riff that glides along gleefully, I would is the way I would describe it. Yeah. It's the it's the perfect rock and roll example of riff as hook that Jimmy Page innovated oh so long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I Come From the Mountain chugs along with its swirling guitars and metronomic 1970s German-inspired motoric rhythm. Uh, the bouncy, elastic, mid-tempo groove of the other single, Minotaur, is a respite from the album's intensity. And it's a lovely way to end what is arguably, even nine years later, perhaps O.C.'s best album. Chris? Yeah, it, it is a strong record. I wouldn't call it their best, uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, this was one of those albums that proves you can be unique and simple. Yeah. Uh, you know, earlier, you know, in that description, there was that line about uh, their live shows where you feel like you're taking a beating. Yeah. I think that that can kind of be used to describe this album, too. Uh, but it's a good beating. Um, it's got that sort of bottom heaviness uh, of a Caius, say, you know, it's, right. it's, so it's got a little bit of that. And so for folks that like bottom heavy, you know, like I wouldn't say down to bottom heavy uh, right. kind of uh, chug a lug a rock. Uh, this is good. Uh, and there really is an OC's rhythm, which mm. uh, I kind of find fascinating. And, you know, like Dwyer, uh, you know, I've always defined genius as the ability to see what other people can't see or to find uh, cracks or permeations that yeah. others can't go through. Right. And he does. It's, it's not a, uh, a, you know, with, with abandon or, kind of punkish like way hardcore and it's not sludge uh it had it's it's like it's got a gallop to it but it's like a controlled it's like a controlled gallop and uh i mean i think that this is over uh uh, all over uh this record uh lots of texture uh one thing one of the reasons i said that that description was a little bit superficial is it doesn't really uh give credit for how sensual and how textured 
they had become uh, by then. Uh, Dwyer co-engineers his albums, a a lot of his albums. Uh, There's a guy in there named Chris Woodhouse, who is an uh, occasional pinch hit drummer for them. Their albums sound great and have a lot of uh, depth uh, to them. And that I think that this is uh, where it starts. Uh, for what it's worth, a uh, trivial thing, Toe Cutter Thumbbuster is by far the most streamed uh, uh, OC song out there. Oh, wow. Holy cow. It's like, you know, 11 million uh, streams on like Spotify and like where their next uh, most streamed is like a million and a half or something. It's like it's, a their, huge... it's their biggest hit. And yeah, I think we're going to see this, that uh, there's a little bit of Kraut Rock uh, in there. And the next couple of records, uh, we get a whole lot of kraut rock. Yes. And so that's that, that's an interesting touch is, like you said, garage punk. Uh, you call them kind of a psychedelic garage punk band. And that maybe is close. But then they add kraut rock and you're like, what? Uh, what? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and the next album that uh, the Curmudgeon Rock Report recommends on this OC's primer, Mutilator Defeated at Last from love, 2015. Love that title. Love that yeah. title. <laughs> Again, we're still as the OCs. Uh, this album sees John Dwyer incorporate a new rhythm section, particularly bassist Tim Hellman, who still plays with the band to this day. This change in lineup must have inspired Dwyer sonically because Mutilator Defeated at Last sees the OCs tone down their trademark fuzzy lo-fi sound for more clarity, spaciousness, and... Most importantly and strikingly, a much heavier, gnarlier guitar sound that lends the songs a darker, more ominous tone than anything the OCs had done before. Uh, the monster riffs and deep and dark, heavy psychedelia provide the engine for awesome tracks such as Withered Hand, Turned Out Light, and Lupine Ossuary. The menacing Sticky Hulks sounds like a 21st century update of Pink Floyd's classic single, Careful with That Axe Eugene. And Rogue Planet is a warped, raving punk jam that the band would return to frequently. It's a wonderful record and the logical progression from Floating Coffin. Chris? Yeah, there, there is a little bit of that. What if David Gilmore played Sid Barrett's songs? Uh, <laughs> kind of kind yeah. of going on there. Uh, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. This is where space, uh, yeah. as in not outer space, but space uh, in, in between the, the rhythms, Uh, And that kind of there's a slinkiness and uh, an openness that allows for more, uh, I guess, experimentation. Like you said, the guitar here, it's not as like you said, it's not fuzzy and it's not as rhythm guitar based in a lot of ways. Like the opening song, Web, I think is very it's the quintessence in some ways of uh, this period or the OCs as as we know them, because it's got this sort of uh, almost sexy uh, kind yeah. of thing going on with the the guitar, uh, kind of you know this this almost like a gu- heavy guitar wail, like like almost like a, a deep toned guitar wail with these sort of like weird like obviously you know like uh, uh, San Francisco London era it both you know that sort of weird, uh, yeah. you know kind of yeah. stuff that you used to get yeah. in uh, in there, and so he's he's playing uh, with that, and uh, believe it or not, this is a one drummer uh, record. Uh, and that song has enough that you're like, okay, that could very well work as a two drum song. You can get that, uh, get that picture, but yeah, a very evocative record. And uh, one thing to mention here, uh, the OCs have, uh, some of the best album covers 
yeah. I, I've ever seen. Uh, they are one of the best. Uh, basically, most of it is like D&D, Lord of the Rings fantasy type shit. Right. Uh, but this one, I mean, it, it's a little, you know, goes to these guys. And as far as I know, Dwyer sometimes, he, he was a visual artist um, around the same time that he got into uh, punk and other stuff. It's uh, basically depicts a germ with a body. It's like a germ in a suit uh, carrying a gun that might as well be in like an intestinal uh, tube. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, uh, yeah, that's that's viscera. Uh, that's viscera shooting us to death. I mean, it's so so it's pretty, pretty trippy stuff. But it's, I think this is a bridge record because uh, really strong. I like it. Yeah, and again, you got to remember, folks. Um, this is sort of a half-learned perspective. Uh, this is sort of on a, on a couple of listens and first impressions. Uh, this really sets up what I think is their best record uh, from uh, the next uh, the next year. Exactly, it, and it just sort of it turns it up a notch, and so we get the slinkiness and the sensuality, and the kind of the, uh, the pullback on the fuzz riffs, and then it goes uh, not not just kraut, but like prog kraut. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, anything else to say about Mutilator Defeated at Last before we move on? Nope, pretty much said it all, and you set it up for the next album. 2016, A Weird Exits. <laughs> bring, I love it. Bring on, bring on the double drums. Yep. Yes, this is the album where John Dwyer introduces the band's now-vaunted double drummer lineup. You can find well-filmed live performances on YouTube of the OCs in 2016, where they're just a bare-bones quartet of two drummers, bassist, and Dwyer on wild-man vocals and even wilder guitar. They demonstrate how incredible the OCs were as a live band by this point, and still are, to this day. The two drummers idea is a master stroke, really, for in the first half of the album, A Weird Exits takes the heavy metal riffs and punk rhythms plus psychedelic sound to maximum overdrive with tracks such as Ticklish Warrior, Plastic Plant, and Gelatinous Cube. Gelatinous, by the way. Uh, on the second half, the heaviness turns moodier, slower, and more introspective as it closes with the haunting, nearly orchestral feel of tracks such as Crawl Out from the Fallout and The Axis. Uh, Not only was this album a mass critical success, making it onto countless music media outlets uh, and their best of lists for 2016, but it was a rather substantial commercial success, or as commercial a success as an underground rock band can have in the 21st century yep. by hitting the low ends of the charts in several European countries, as well as the US. Basically, the OCs went from music critic darlings to a band beloved by hardcore music geeks, especially with word of mouth spreading in the blogosphere and social media outlets such as YouTube. Uh, the period of a weird exits is where the hardcore cult of OCs begins. While it is in my top three of OC's albums, it's many people's favorite as well, as as well as it is a common entry point into the sonic soundscape of John Dwyer. Chris? Yeah, I, I think that this is just a really efficient, really strong, uh, really compelling record. I mean, it's it's accessible. Now, it's not as immediately as accessible as um, an album we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but it has that sort of accessibility and uh, kind of Dwyer at his songwritery best. And to a point you made, 
this is where the band can like segue into a cello driven song yeah. there at the end yeah. and it not and you're not blinking <laughs> it's like okay that's ocs uh yeah. it's it's that got that sort of um kind of, again that slinkiness sensuality sexiness whatever you want to call uh at at the bottom and that depth but you're like okay but that's i kind of had that experience two or three songs earlier uh and uh i really think the the there's a streak uh in this record uh, that I think is incredibly strong. And that's uh, the, it's a groovy post-punker plastic plant, which I think is the best song on the record. Uh, just, it just really just, um, uh, it is, if there's such a thing as like psychedelic kraut, uh, that is an, a perfect example. Followed by Gelatinous Cube, which you talked about, which is like a really fun song. It's just, you know, it just, it's, it, it's almost like a, a it's almost like hopscotch. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it, it's great. And then the next song, it's it's a it's a jazzy bopper, uh, unwrap the fiend part two. Uh, it's just I think it just sort of shows the shifts uh, that they're capable of. Uh, one thing worth mentioning here, by the way, is Dwyer in interviews when he talks about what used to be his San Francisco scene. He now lives in Los Angeles. He got priced out of uh, San Francisco, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> But a uh, big influence on him is Deerhoof. Uh, mm. You know, they're contemporaries of his in the San Francisco scene. And you remember Deerhoof, right? Well, a while back, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're still around. They're still putting out records. But they were, uh, I guess you could call them experimental post-punk. Uh, uh, I never cared for uh, the, the lead singer is a woman named Satomi Matsusaki. And I never cared for her vocals. Uh, they were kind of bordering on Yoko annoying, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the rest of it was really, really strong. And this record has some of those, uh, sort of slowed down, uh, almost punkish post punkish, but, uh, sort of with, with the kind of the exotic instrumentation, right. uh, you know, kind of creeping up here and there. I mean, it, deer, I mean, at deer hoof broke out in 2003 with the album Apple O uh, I remember that because it was big when I lived in Phoenix uh, many years ago. It, uh, I think of a record like that as lushness delivered with a pile driver. Mm. And I, I think the same thing uh, applies uh, here. Just it's, and I guess another uh, metaphor I can use, uh, it attacks with ferocity, but also with a velvet glove. <laughs> uh, I think you can, I think you can pretty much uh, say that. And so, uh, what, what, just out of curiosity, I think this is their best record. Um, there's another one that we're going to talk about here. That's their most fascinating one. Mm. But which do you, is this for you? Is this, uh, do you think this is their best just object objectively? Uh, like I said, for me, it's between this floating coffin and one that we'll talk about later. Okay. Those are, those yeah. are my top three. I got you. Okay. Well, we keep uh, hinting at stuff that we want to talk about next. Hey, let's talk about it next. On this episode, Chris and I broke down the best albums in OC's dense discography and examined why they've become such a huge underground cult band. For the next episode, yours truly curmudgeons will climb overground and tackle one of the biggest bands in all of mainstream rock, definitively one of the five biggest post-1990s bands in the world. 
I'm talking about the British band Muse. Their audacious blend of dystopian sci-fi prog rock, glam rock, heavy metal, edgy alternative rock, and electronic pop has captivated fans around the globe for a little over 20 years now, lifting them to the status of arena filling and, in the UK and Europe, stadium filling rock icons. Yet, music critics and media throughout the years have positively hated them, even to the point of vilifying them. The pretentious indie hipster section of rock fandom has followed suit, making Muse a rather unhip band to like. Well, yours truly curmudgeons think that's unfair, and we plan to set the record straight regarding a band that, at their best, which they usually are, are a boldly original, innovative, and heavy-as-fuck badass rock band. Join us for the next episode as the Curmudgeon Rock Report goes in defense of Muse. No, really? What's next? (laughs) This is the next album by, now they're called OCs, Eliminate the V, O-H space S-E-E-S. And this is the album Smote Reverser from 2018. Great title. Now. In 2017, John Dwyer removed, like I just mentioned, the stylized article V from the band's name, and they were hereby known as OCs. They also released an album called Orc that, while garnering some initial praise resulting from the momentum generated by the career-defining a weird exits, really wasn't that good. <laughs> uh, over, overall, the band sounded tired and the music sounded recycled. And Dwyer as a songwriter seemed to have hit a dead end with the sound and style that he had crafted the previous couple of years. Well, OCs would remedy that in a hurry with the sprawling progressive rock epic Smote Reverser in 2018. Yes, you heard right. Prog rock, but with a twist. Imagine the keyboard and organ-infused sound of early 1970s bands like Yes and Peter Gabriel-era Genesis filtered through the intensity of gnarly garage punk with some heavy metal guitar riffage slapped on top. It is a deep, dense, thick, yet spacious monolith of a record that rewards repeated listening. The 12-minute anthemic aggressor turned heads at the time, not only with its lengthy runtime, but also with how long John Dwyer could improvise strange sounds out of his guitar for an inordinate length of time. Uh, Enrique El Cobrador and the simply titled C sound exactly like what you would expect if someone slapdashed together an amalgam of OCs and Yes with the former and OCs and King Crimson with the latter. (laughs) Um, Very little, though, prepares the listener for the all-out thrash metal meets hardcore punk onslaught of Overthrown, Uh, my favorite song on the album. Um, The album ends with a trio of mid-tempo groove jams that act as a balm for the intensity of the album's first half, and it's all the better for it. In my opinion, Smote Reverser is the most underrated in OC's catalog. And guess what? 
it's the most commercially successful, quote unquote, that they've had to date. It hit number one on Billboard's Heat Seeker album chart and number 99 on the overall Billboard album chart. How about yeah. that? Yeah, I, 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 they made it to the edge, the very edge of the mainstream, which I guess doesn't yeah. surprise me because, like you said, a weird exit is what kind of introduced them. Uh, yeah, fu- fuzzy yes is a good way to describe a lot of uh, uh, what's going on here. Yeah, I, I would say uh, Beyond Enrique El Cobrador, which is just so much fun. My favorite song on this record, uh, well, there's Anthemic Aggressor, which, again, is just kind of wild and, and fun. But I like Nailhouse Needle Boys. Uh, because that's like, what would you call that? That's almost like, yes. And uh, I don't know. It, it has a bop to it. it it's, it's almost like dance. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. You, yes. You can dance to, in other words, fish. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess, but, but done with like more, uh, with like more, more bass and sort of more traditional, like uh, metalish instrumentation. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's like dance. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dwyer's not much of a vocalist, and I think he doesn't intentionally. It's, it, his vocals are often wispy and kind of intentionally echoey and under under the mix. But right. I think I think here it works as a as, as an instrument. It like draws you in. Uh, mm. uh, this album and the next one, there's a certain hypnosis to them. Yeah, uh, this record clocks in no joke at 59 minutes and 59 seconds. And you know, no, knowing the the stonerness, I. I wouldn't be surprised if that was intentional. Yeah. Well, Chris, you mentioned hypnosis. For me, it's expansion. That's what I oh, would okay. describe it. And uh, the next album is an expansion on Smote Reverser. And the next recommendation for, uh, for, for by the Curmudgeon Rock Report is 2019's Face Stabber. Uh, <laughs> they're still going by O-O-H space C's at this point. Now... Alas, for a band as ambitious and prolific as OCs, it was inevitable that they would put out the ultimate ego-stroking venture of all self-respecting rock bands, the Double Album. Yep. At least at least to this curmudgeon, Double Albums are usually reserved for some artists' bands' most ambitious, impressive, and enduring work. And with Face Stabber, John Dwyer and company delivered a record so expansive that it made the previous year's Smote Reverser seem like a short, concise album by the chats, by comparison. No shit. (laughs) And expansive it is, as OCs continued on their progressive rock meets heavy metal guitars trajectory by dipping that hybrid in a great big vat of jazz fusion, particularly of the early 1970s Miles Davis, John McLaughlin variety. Uh, each disc of the double album has massively long jams with Skewdom and Scorpius clocking in at over 14 minutes and album closer Henchlock coming in at an epic 21 minutes. If that's off-putting to some of you music listeners out there who like uh, short poppy songs, it shouldn't be. The lengthy tracks are trippy, hypnotic, there's that word again, and fascinating in a stoned out of your mind, looking at a lava lamp kind of way. Well, at least to me, that's always a positive thing. <laughs> Nevertheless, if you're yearning for OC's patented, rocked out, psych garage punk sound, Face Stabber does not disappoint there either, as both discs carry prog rock tinged versions of that style. 
Disc one has the title track, The Experimenter, and Golu to satisfy that thirst, while disc two has the album's two singles, Poison Stones and Heartworm. I love me some epic, grand-scale, sprawling double albums, and OC's Face Stabber is, to me, one of their three best albums. Chris? Yeah, uh, the drums, the drummers, the two drummers are the stars of this record um, in a lot of ways, but also, like I said, Dwyer's mind. Uh, first time I listened to this record, uh, I was kind of, I was really tired, kind of half asleep on my couch with headphones on, and uh, that's an experience. Uh, it's, yeah. It's the kind of thing, it's uh, out of space, baby. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's really ambitious, and I would say... I don't know this for sure. I mean, I haven't seen this in the press, but you see this in movies sometimes, you know, uh, even directors that have modest success mm. uh, are, and they, they're allowed like a vanity project. It's like, you know, you've, you've earned uh, the right to kind of have a vanity project. Uh, this might be Dwyer's kind of like, yeah. okay, you know, I had the last two records uh, put me on the map. Now I'm making real money touring. Now I've actually made like real royalties on albums. Eh, what the hell? I'm going to make a monster and I'm, I'm just going to do you know this. And so it kind of feels uh, like that uh, in some respects. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it's a, an 80 minute record. Um, it's basically like, seriously, it's almost like one of those old tool records that if they had all the space in the world to fill on a CD, they, they filled every single second. Uh, so it's kind of uh, like that. Now, hearkening back to that uh, blog uh interview that I mentioned uh, before uh, with Dwyer, uh, they're asking him about um, going longer and going weirder. And uh, this is a quote from Dwyer. He says, quote, I love long form jams. I love collective and can even iron butterfly. Any long jam. I'm all about it. I never understood it, but people complain to me about two pretty dumb things all the time. People are like, why two drummers? And I'm like, how the fuck can I answer that question? That's like, why do you fuck so good? And I'd be <laughs> like, I don't know. Let's have it the other way. Why not two drummers? But also like, why are some of the songs so long? And I'm like, well, obviously this isn't for you. If you don't want to sit down for 20 minutes and veg out, then I don't know what to tell you. You're not my kind of person. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. And so, and so uh, in, in other words, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Dwyer, because, you know, Dwyer is prolific in terms of interviews and availability and all of this. But uh, yeah, he he even if you, you know, you can't I don't like adjectives too much for a band like this, but he'll tell you where they are and where they stand and, you know, sort of uh, where their boundary is. And and he he does have this of like uh, he may not have a sense totally of the demographic that will like his band, but he is way certain about who won't. I almost get a sense it's where this is sort of like the uh, quasi consumers guide to the OCs. There's a part of me that would advise people to start here and then work back. This is well, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, of chronological order and seeing how a band progresses from point okay. A to point B to point C. That's why I, I always recommend start with Floating Coffin because you see yeah. the natural organic progression, how they get from Floating Coffin to Face Stabber and then onto the albums that we're going to talk about next. Right. You, and, and- you, you, you can see the logical progression. 
Right. And I think that speaks to the differences in how you and I think, which is why I think I let, you know, we work so well here as a, as a tandem, as curmudgeons, uh, because I kind of think the other way, I like to get to the kind of the end and then do the deconstruction and to sort of see where the bits and pieces came from. And so, um, not like the most recent, but like the most gaudy or the most sort of, uh, the one that people talk about, the one that gets the chatter. So you start there and it's like, oh, I can see it. Well, okay, where, where does that come from? So uh, for me, you know, I, I know that you you advised me when we were preparing this record to go chronological. Uh, yeah. It's just not my nature. I, I did the first two records and then immediately skipped to <laughs> to this record and uh, and then went back to, you know, the first two records and kind of did all this. And so you kind of are interested to see uh, the evolution, but you're kind of doing it in a more, I do it in a more abstract way, uh, which in a way, I mean, Dwyer seems like he'd be a fan of either approach. He doesn't care. He's like, Hey, yeah. you know, enjoy my music any way you want. So that's kind of the cool thing uh, about it. And so now we, you know, we've had these two kind of proggy kind of uh, grand production records. And so, uh, at some point you're like, yeah, I kind of miss three minute songs. So what do I no. do next? That's where the big scale back comes. And it comes with the album Protein Threat in 2020. Protein spelled P-R-O-T-E-A-N. And this album came out in 2020. And in the pandemic year of 2020, as I said, John Dwyer not only changed their name again (laughs) from O-O-H space S-E-E-S to O-C's, just one word, O-S-E-E-S, the name they they have to this day, but they had to cancel the huge tour they had in store for that year due to the COVID-19 outbreak. It's a shame too, because the album they released during this year was a perfect album to tour behind and play songs from. Protein Threat essentially took all the sonic experiments and stylistic ventures of the previous five years the psychedelia, the garage rock, the punk rock, the heavy metal, the kraut rock, the progressive rock, the jazz fusion, and condense them all into a tight, concise, punchy power packet of short songs. Tracks like Dreary Nonsense, If I Had My Way, and Scramble Suit 2 attest to Dwyer's newfound love of economy and brevity. It's a terrific little nugget of an album, and in a weird way, like 2016's A Weird Exits, it's a nice entry point into their band's recent musical evolution up to that point. Chris? Yeah, I, I, it's certainly their tightest record. I think it's certainly their the, it's their danciest record. It's their uh, If there's such a thing as like funky OCs, uh, it's their funkiest record. It's actually kind of funny. Like some of the stuff on here is kind of evocative of like some of the early Red Hot Chili Peppers kind of stuff, mm. you know, with that kind of like uh, like wicked sort of muso bounce. Right. Uh, that those guys would get. And I'm, I'm even talking like going back to Hillel Slovak <laughs> period, yeah. uh, Chili Peppers. Like, uh, I think the, the song that uh, catches my fancy on, well, the two of them in a row, uh, upbeat ritual and yeah. red study, uh, upbeat ritual. Um, and this is another comparison. I kind of made it earlier, but, uh, a couple of songs on here, uh, remind me or uh, evoke, uh, Josh Homme, uh, mm. pro- probably not on purpose, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, the same kind of like, it draws you in. That's why I use hypnosis. You say expansion. Hmm. I say hypnosis because it's the expansion that kind of draws you in and it, it becomes yeah. compelling. And right. so, you know, up, upbeat ritual, it's got the, the, the use of the, the two drummers to come up with this really almost, 
you know, if you didn't know it was drummers, you'd think it might be a drum machine. Uh, mm. Yeah. And yeah. then it's just sort of like um, up almost like a, like a, a climbing uh, little riff. I mean, kind of in the style of stuff that they started, they introduced with uh, a weird exits in there. And so it's this kind of upward, uh, upbeat kind of, uh, a little hypnotic thing. And then, you know, like I said, red study, uh, after that it slows it down like a schmidge, but not much, uh, to me, this is sort of, uh, this is like an in out dominate leave kind of record. And this kind of actually, it, it kind of is, is a nice segue into, the next studio album they made, because they, they put out another album that year, but it was basically a compilation of outtakes from mm-hmm. Face Stabber and Smoke Reverser. The next full new studio album of brand new material. Chris, hit the music. Yeah. Welcome to the parallel universe. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, oh, I just got the willies. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's aliens in the sky. Booga, booga, booga. Right. Yeah. And of course, considering a sci-fi geek like John Dwyer, it is fitting. In a parallel universe where rock music is still a mainstream pop cultural force, John Dwyer and the OCs would be genuine rock stars. And this album would be in the top 10 of the Billboard charts. And we're talking about their most recent studio album of this year. It came out a couple of months ago called A Foul Form. Now, in a year in which Australian punk band The Chats have released quite possibly the best rock album of the year, OCs have stylistically followed suit with the most full-on punk rock album they've ever done. If The Chats get fucked clocks in at 27 minutes. OCs is a foul form clocks in at just under 22 minutes. Uh, <laughs> in, an inter- in an interview promoting the album's release, uh, Dwyer referred to a foul form as an homage to the 1970s and 80s punk bands he grew up listening to. And while some might listen to the record and glean the influence of Crass, Black Flag, and Rudimentary Penny, Indeed, the last song on the album, Sacrifice, is a cover of a rudimentary Penny song. To these curmudgeonly ears, the choppy, angular, anarchist punk sound of contemporary German band Pissa seems to be a more apt comparison. Now, that's an obscure reference for you kids out there. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Regardless, A Foul Form is O.C.'s tightest, most self-consciously disciplined, and goddammit, it is their most Fun, raucous, uncompromisingly P-U-N-K punk listening experience through and through. Key tracks, the delectable hardcore thrash ruckus of Scum Show, the stop-start stiletto punk of Frock Block, where I want to believe Dwyer is excoriating the evils of pedophile priests, the intense riff-driven social butt, and the anti-police brutality song, Perm Act. Nearly 20 years into his career, John Dwyer shows no sign of slowing down, literally and musically. Is it O.C.'s best album? No, but it may be their most fun album. Chris? Yeah, I mean, it's as fun as a record with titles like Funeral Solution 2, uh, Late for Suicide and Fucking Kill Me can be. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and so, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like... Uh, yeah, I know that you did the you recorded this mostly during the middle of COVID, but dude, were you is are is that I'm assuming it's a put on 
you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, because he, he's not, you know, it's not like he's Purple Mountains, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, the, the funny thing about this record is, like you said, so it is a blast, uh, a blast off record uh, that goes back to uh, his uh, uh, origins, which I'll talk about in a second um, in terms of his formative uh, years. But they do this neat little trick. They do it in the beginning and they do it like one or other times. So they start this song or they'll they'll start the album with 17 seconds of this like really like weird kind of gnarly, cool, like almost grating feedback. And so mm. based on the last three records, you're expecting like bong, boom, boom, you know, like that. Instead, you get bum, 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 bum. So it's kind of funny. It's almost like he's he's fucking with uh, he's fucking with his fans. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and so uh, so back up. He grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, and he went to a Catholic school in Pawtucket, uh, which is like about as like rebel uh, rebel forming as you can get. Uh, he talks about uh, in that in several interviews how it was punk that saved him from ACDC, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and he was kind of uh, came up and uh, was uh, a member of the I don't know maybe not as a musician. But as a, a, a member, a fan of the hard, all ages hardcore scene there, mm. you know, which, you know, yeah. the bands on the floor and, and, and that type of thing. And then so but and so it was punk where he kind of started and kind of uh, you know, really uh, that drew him in and pretty, pretty much probably made him want to be a musician, uh, you know, kind of saved him from from the boredom of, you know, like regular, like, Hey, I'm going to Catholic school to be a good little Catholic boy. No, fuck that. (laughs) Um, and then eventually ends up in San Francisco and goes in a different uh, direction. So it's not really a surprise, uh, that, uh, he would, uh, you know, have this love for punk that he can, that he can whip out. Uh, one thing worth mentioning, by the way, we're talking about Rhode Island, uh, a lot of you out there listening, if you're as uh, geek iconoclasticness uh, as uh, Arturo and I, uh, you know you know that Rhode Island School of Design pumps out some really uh, great uh, bands. Uh, during this uh, period, uh, contemporaries that were in Providence at the same time, Lightning Bolt, uh, yes. who are who are an RISD band. Uh, here's the thing, though: uh, Dwyer actually grew up in Rhode Island, so he's like mm. he's he's like street level. And so mm. apparently there's such a thing as street level Rhode Island. Um, but he also does kind of admit that uh, it was one of the things that influenced him is not only was he learning punk, but he was in one of the places to find the weirdest shit going on in, yeah. in rock. And so there was no stoppage of weird shit because of RISD and, and what they drew. And so you got to think, you know, punk combined with, you know, the weirdness that he got, put those two together and at least you get the uh, formation and the gestation of OCs. Uh, and, and the Rhode Island School of Design also gave us three fourths of talking heads. Correct. And uh, there's a couple other bands that are a little throwing bit muses. Yes. Yeah. And there, there's a few others that if we dug, I mean, they, they would come out of that. It's kind of funny. It's like RISD and then Wesleyan has pumped out several bands too. go figure, you know, MGMT uh, being the one that comes most to mind. Uh, but anyway, so it's, uh, this is a back to, back to my formative, uh, back to basics kind of record that also manages to mix in a little bit of, Hey, this is the OCs that you've uh, come to, uh, to come to kind of know and love. So, uh, like too late for suicide, uh, is three and a half minutes. It's the longest song on the record. It's the slowest song on the record for, Oh, it's one of the, you know, Permac is longer. 
but it it kind of goes into more of that little bit slower stomp. And so they don't completely abandon the formula that brought them, but no, it, it's awesome. And come on, these days for me, 10 minutes, 22, uh, 10 songs, 22 minutes. Perfect. You know, <laughs> uh, to me, if an album goes more than 45 minutes, I am really hesitant to actually listen to it because there's probably too much bullshit on it. Right. So, well, folks, there you have it. There is your primer on OCs. Uh, I, I don't know about you all listening yet, but I, I for one, and I'm sure Chris as well, really looking forward to what John Dwyer puts out next year. But until then, you have quite a bit to catch up on if you haven't heard it. And uh, we are happy that the Curmudgeon Rock Report can provide this public service for all of you out there. Absolutely. It's it's a public service. Uh, you know, yeah, you can check out the stuff that we didn't talk about just for curiosity. But uh, if you if you're like us and you've got like, you know, wives and dogs and, you know, jobs and stuff. Uh, yeah, this is th- these are the albums uh, that you really need to uh, to start at. So maybe you disagree with us, though, with you know, a band as prolific as this with you know, kind of a cult following. There's probably a few of you that think we're full of crap. Uh, if you do. As always, you can reach us at curmudgeonrock at gmail.com. Also, hey, remember, we have our Facebook uh, community. Uh, we call it the Curmudgeonly Community. Uh, you can join that at facebook.com uh, slash curmudgeonly. And uh, as we've been doing for the last several episodes going forward, uh, we will be offering a Spotify playlist that essentially uh, dumps in uh, all of these records that we talked about in this episode plus a few other gold nuggets that are here and there uh, that uh, you should you should check out. 